0: Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with a very unique episode of the Influence Continuum. Today I have two amazing guests with me um, Michelle Rowland and Bobby Samini. Michelle and I know each mm-hmm. other for a bunch of years. She's the survivor of the International Churches mm-hmm. of Christ. She was a women's leader, uh, mm-hmm. I think 17 years, were you? Yep involved and um you are a phenomenon you i'm just gonna read a little bit about you for our intro then we'll do bobby uh the attorney uh uh, extraordinaire and then we'll get into (laughs) it so uh you are an entrepreneur author producer brand developer you win lots of awards for content and sizzle reels you founded a wellness network called Be Well Network with patented and all kinds of products. I use one. I'm not going to plug it here, but we can <laughs> people can find out about uh, this later. Uh, 17 years of uh, abuse in this uh, cult that I've known about since about 1981, because it started here in Lexington, Massachusetts, and I was here for school. Uh, from college in 77. Um, What else? Digital platform, indie Netflix. You're working on a streaming scripted series, which I want to hear more about, but you probably can't talk about it yet here. (laughs) Um, But the main thing is there's a lawsuit that you are deeply involved with, um, and uh, we'll put the link to it, but it's... uh, uh, www.icoc-icclawsuits.com. Yeah. And uh, next, I just want to get to our next guest, uh, an attorney, nationally recognized trial lawyer. And um, uh, Mr. Samini's practice focuses on media-sensitive business litigation, entertainment-related disputes. You represent members of sovereign families. Twenty-five years of experience, and you're leading this effort to represent victims of this uh, cult group. uh, If I'm if I understand correctly, very high profile. You've you know nationally recognized news programs, etc. I'm going to just move into the content. What I wanted to do first, if I may, is just explain the nature of the Kip McKean pyramid structure, authoritarian, discipling cult that I have been helping people out of. I've written about it in my book, Combating Cult Mind Control, and and, uh, I actually helped a, a victim of this that got out and had suffered in the mental health system for 11 years due to lack of proper diagnosis someone that you know, Michelle, very well. Uh, and fortunately, my work was able to help her like start over again, and she's doing great right now. So let's start with a bit of your story, Michelle, if you don't mind.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: How did you get in? What did you do when you were in? How did you get out? And tell us then, uh, intro the lawsuit, and then we'll bring in uh Bobby Samini to get into right. some more details. How's that? Well of
2: course I'll, I'll condense this and give you the reader's digest version, of Perfect. course. <laughs> Perfect. But um no, I was I was twenty-one, I was a college student. As we know, the ICOC, their main fishing ground is the malleable, moldable, idealistic mind while mm-hmm. they're in college. Yeah. So I, I I like to say I was preyed upon because it was nothing less than preying upon me. And I was waiting tables at a restaurant. So this crazy married couple would come in and they'd had to sit in my station at least twice a week. They had to, you know, and my everyone had a fictitious name at the restaurant I worked at, it was Ed DeBevick's, which is a really wild 50s diner. Uh So I was rosy, you know, my rosy Scandinavian cheeks. So they were like, where's Rosie? We have to sit in Rosie's station. Everything was rosy, rosy, rosy. And so even the people at the restaurant were like, those religious freaks are here again. They say they won't sit at any other table except yours. They'd wait for an hour if they had to. So anyway, so they just came in all the time, inviting me to church. And I had always been a seeker, a do-gooder, uh, wanted to change and save the world. That's just who I was. And so I had moved here from a small town in Washington State called Puyallup to be a film major at Long Beach State where I was mm-hmm. going to school. Mm-hmm. And I uh, was supporting myself through school. So I worked nonstop around the clock. right? And... um They just kept coming in, coming in, coming in. And so I finally thought, well, how bad can church be, (laughs) right? It's just God, right? What, What bad things can happen at church? And so I finally agreed to go just because I was, you know, thought it's just rude of me to keep saying no after months. So I went, happened to be a Father's Day service, a Sunday service. Mm-hmm. They uh, picked me up full of their, their minivan was full of all these other, what they called visitors, mm-hmm. visitors, recruits, people yeah. they were preying upon. And um, I think we met at like the Wiltern Theater or something, something big, something shocking when we got there, full of other fanatics. Right. And lo and behold, to me, I didn't realize this guy was actually leading that part of the group. Mm-hmm. So he was preaching. And they put me in the front row. They were preaching at me. (laughs) Things I had told them in confidence, or maybe I had a rough day one day and was telling them personal things. Well, that was a part of the sermon,
0: right? So I need to interrupt and just say for my listeners, Michelle is a beautiful, tall, super smart person. And she was sized up by these leaders to Mm -hmm. recruit her. I know this. Because as a Mooney recruiter, we were told, recruit people at your level or better. Or higher. Higher, excuse me. And and you want to invest the time to build a relationship so people feel guilty when you're inviting them. (laughs) Till they yes. like relent because that's what happened to me in my recruitment. And as I'm listening to you, I'm like, oh, yes, I know this story. <laughs> Please continue. You,
2: you know the drill, it's a yep. formula the love bombing. So, yep. this was the love bombing stage. Exactly. Of telling me how special I am. You're amazing. God Himself sent us to find you, you know. And they were
0: using mystical manipulation, a lifting technique of private information they elicited from you and then using it from the pulpit, giving the illusion that there was a divine spirit behind this whole thing. So Correct.
2: Yeah. Meanwhile, (laughs) I had been searching and wondering about God and praying. So I'm like, oh, you know, it was tracking. It tracked with me. Right. So we get to this service. I'm freaked out. The guy's preaching at me, I'm uncomfortable. I feel like I'm almost having an anxiety attack. Everybody knew my name. Your are Shelly, they called me Shelly. Or actually at that point, they called me Rosie still. Rosie, we've heard so much about you. Mm. Rosie, Rosie, Rosie. And I'm like, what kind of alternate universe have I stepped into here, right? Yeah. So halfway through the service, I, I left. I said, give me your keys. I'm gonna go sit in your car. This is making me very uncomfortable and i went and sat in the car after she fought me about it for quite some time so i finally mm-hmm. said give me your keys or i'm calling a taxi we didn't have ubers then so finally went and sat in the car get home that night and find out my dad has died on that day
0: oh my god my dad father's was only day service on, oh yes. my god on
2: father's day Oof. he was only 47 Oof. and so my world was turned so and it was sudden he died in his sleep and it was this whole mysterious thing in itself that happened so Mm. i'm turned upside down they call me that night hello we're just checking on you rosie wanted to say how, how the rest of your day went and i of course just unload this is what happened to me today tell them everything find myself the very next day sitting in a back booth with them at the Kettle Mm. Restaurant in Manhattan Beach, where I was living, Mm. telling them things I'd never told anyone. And so what the couple told me was that they packaged all of that up. So they said, Rosie, you understand what's happening here, right? Look at the timing of what God did for you. God knew this was going to happen, he knew that this was going to happen with your dad. God is your dad now. This is why we sent to you God's teen all of this up. This is basically how special you are. Mm. You are set apart. It was Father's Day. God is your father now.
1: Mm.
2: So it was just this whole wow. thing. And I'm 21. I was a very naive 21. So from there, the indoctrination, the love bombing was just put into high gear from that moment on Yes, and they were on me around me in my mind every day from that point forward. Yeah, I didn't have a second. I, like, like one time I even was in LA trying out for Wheel of Fortune the first time I tried out, right? Trying out for Wheel of Fortune. One of them showed up and said, oh, this sounded so fun. I thought I'd try out too. So we were together all day. Like how weird is that when you look back on it? So in right? the in-
0: interest of time, because I really want to get into describing yes. the cult and the lawsuit, you're, we could talk for hours. Your story yes. is amazing and fascinating and the parallels. Um, I know you became a top leader. Yes. They married you off. They, you know, mm-hmm. So like, let's get into a little bit more about the structure, what makes this group yeah. a destructive cult, and then we'll get into the lawsuits and- what we need to do to help many of the Correct. victims, well, please.
2: From there, of course, I was assigned a discipler to speak to your question about the structure. Um, everybody had a discipler, better word for that is a handler. Somebody
0: right? between you and God who Correct. was like Jesus that you had to tell everything to and confess yes. everything to, who did every. Oversaw every element of your life, including who you could date or whether you oh, could yes. kiss everything. Right. Keep well, going. Well, you can only
2: you can only date within the group. Right. And there was no kissing. <laughs> right. Even someone you were dating, you can't even kiss them on the cheek. Uh huh. So so anyway, so I had a discipler. You are correct. They had already pegged me as a leader. So within a couple of weeks, I was leading the whole teen ministry in the South Bay. Mm -hmm. Manhattan beach area. Mm -hmm. So, um, I didn't even know all the books of the Bible at that point, but I'm leading a ministry, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So, um, I had no business even leading myself, but I'm, I'm leading a ministry. So in this structure, this pyramid where everybody has someone above them, of course, it goes all the way up to the leader who was Kip McKean, and this was, this was on paper, written on paper structure. There was nothing nebulous about this. It was, this is our structure. So in that structure, compliance becomes the path of least resistance. Yep. So everyone just learns pretty quick to comply because you speak up, you're rebuked, you're in trouble, you're independent, you're in sin, you're faithless. You, you learn really fast. That and the
0: breaking sessions are it later, and you course. have to be rebaptized over and over again. I want to inter- interject, if I may, and just say in mm-hmm. the early days, the leaders were using the master plan of evangelism. Correct. I want to say by Coleman. And my recollection was that he said something like The communists are brainwashing people for Satan. We need to brainwash people for God. You know, Mm -hmm. it was like that overt, you know, they, they, they did later editions and they took all of that out, but it was really clear. This was God versus Satan. If you're in, then you're God. All of the churches are dead and unspiritual. They were infiltrating mainland churches of Christ all over the country and around the world, creating a lot of disruptions. So anyway, because I, Again, I go back to the early 80s with this group, and they're still right. out there harming people. Right. Please continue.
2: Well, and that's, I mean, that's probably all we need to say about the structure. It literally is a pyramid scheme mm-hmm. that now, looking back, I go, how, how did we all not see this, right? Because their main mission statement is Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Go out and make disciples of all other nations, right? Mm -hmm. So, if you're not doing that, you're not saved. Right. You're just not. Yeah, it's all about salvation is on the line.
0: Not not salvation through grace or faith. Oh, gosh, no. You need numbers. And if you're not bringing in new converts, then there's something wrong. You have to confess because you obviously have sin or something's wrong with you, right? But when
2: you look back on it, for the people that would buy in, it was a brilliant plan. Because every person has to commit to at least 10% of their income to become a baptized, saved member. So really, we were buying our salvation, correct? Mm
1: -hmm. Mm -hmm. So
2: if you have to give at least 10%, and that's that's for the real, you know, like, faithless people that only give 10%. If you only give 10%, you're just an average member, right? Mm -hmm. Right. The ones that were really committed gave more. We had these things called 20 timesers special contribution where we had to give 10 or 20 times our normal tithes so it was a money-making machine if you have everybody committed to that and if you don't give people well, there was a budget we knew what everybody gave every week you'd be on sure. their porch collecting it sure. this what there was no this is from my heart this is our budget right right and so anyway so i i Again, looking back on that pyramid, it was it was nothing less than the corporate structure of this church, right? right? That was just how they functioned,
0: right? We should also add that this is a patriarchal, homophobic group as oh, well, gosh, where <laughs> women have to submit to their husbands if they want sex, and the woman doesn't want sex, that's not an option. That's my recollection of the people i Life Council.
2: Before you get married, you're told if your husband wants sex 10 times a day, you do it. Mm-hmm. You don't say no. Yeah. Yeah. So it was all about what the husband wanted. Um, anytime the husband confessed lust or anything else, the wife got in trouble. Yep. She wasn't meeting his needs. Yeah.
0: And they often would each have a discipler and they'd get the other handlers would get together. If one of, of the course. people were having doubts, then there would be a whole regime for how to what how what are we going to do to break the person or bring them back into line
2: right it was like we all had right. an agent you know like i'll have my agent call your agent it's like well my disciple is going to call your disciple, and he's really upset with you right and then you're like oh no so and so is upset with me you know right yeah
0: so how did you get out and then tell us about the lawsuit <laughs> and then we'll bring Uh, Bobby Semeny and to talk about why his background and why he got interested in taking this case.
2: Um, Okay, well, let me sum that up. I I think over the years, I call it kind of crack by crack by crack Mm because indoctrination felt like my brain was encased Mm -hmm. with indoctrination, Mm -hmm. where I'd have moments of clarity or moments of that doesn't feel right or if I'm saved why do I feel so lost? Mm. Why do I feel so miserable 24 hours a day? Why do I cry every day? Basically, why do I hate my life? Mm. (laughs) And so, and I was having anxiety and physical issues and my body was breaking down from the emotional and physical stress. And so, crack by crack by crack. But what really saved me in the end was my marriage was so horrific from really day one.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: From
2: when I had a moment to spend 24 hours with this man that I was being paired up with, yeah, I was horrified.
1: Mm.
2: We just obviously there was no real love there, but I didn't really like him as a person after mm. I spent 24 hours with him on the honeymoon, and I'm like, ah, crap. And so mm. I started to feel like it was my punishment, and I must have all this secret sin or there's something wrong with me because look yeah. who God gave me to.
0: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So
2: that kind of messed with my head. But what I'm really grateful for is that horrific marriage saved me Mm. because it was so bad that I finally really woke up and said, there's no loving entity that would expect me to live this way. Mm. And if there is, I don't want to spend eternity with this entity anyways, because he's mean (laughs) and this is a horrible life. So I just got to the point of... If I'm going to go to hell for leaving, sign me up. How do I get there? You know, I, yeah, I'm out a of lot here. Of,
0: a lot of my clients in religious cults are like, I don't care if I'm going to hell. I can't stand one more day here. I can't stand
2: one more day. Too
0: too much. And yeah. uh, then they realize it wasn't their fault that it was an un- abusive authoritarian mind control cult. Mm-hmm. And that they're not alone. And that yeah. there's... A future, a happy future ahead.
2: More than happy, Mm. more than I I live a euphoric life now. Like I've experienced happiness that I didn't even know was possible for a human, Mm. like true euphoria of freedom, Mm. like freedom to me. I mean, I feel like I, I was in prison for 17 years so that freedom to me is palpable for you sure. You were in a
0: psychological prison oh, in my professional opinion frankly. Completely.
2: Actually prison might have been better on most days.
0: In in many ways because you know you're in a jail and these are invisible <laughs> right. bars where your beliefs right. have been co-opted and you've been told not to listen to your inner voice or your gut or your right. common sense or your right. family and friends that are like, what are you doing? This is crazy. Right. Like, right. You need well, to sleep. You need to yeah. rest.
2: I heard an interesting analogy from someone that was in Auschwitz, Auschwitz mm-hmm. one of the concentration camps. And she just had this great analogy because she was talking about indoctrination and how even a lot of the soldiers were indoctrinated that they were just doing their job, of course. right? Mm-hmm. That's what they say, but we were just doing our job. So she said the beauty of being one of those prisoners was that at least they knew who their enemies were. Mm-hmm. They knew the enemies. When you're in a cult, you don't know who your enemies are. You don't realize that the enemies are the people that are controlling you. It's the ones that true. should be you know, your safe place, your comrades in this mission, they're really the enemy.
0: And they have to tattle on you if, you, if yeah. they see you breaking a rule or expressing a doubt and they don't Rebuking tell you. on you. If yeah. they don't tell the leadership on you and 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 make sure you're punished, uh, they're they're uh, punished. So it's the whole system is malevolent and a form of slavery, a uh, trafficking is. Uh, it's labor is,
2: trafficking for sure.
0: For sure. I mean,
2: we were we were bringing in recruits for them yep. that went into their pockets. Yeah. Right. Slave labor, complete, complete slave labor. So fast forward to once I left. Um, I was still indoctrinated, of course. Mm. So I was reaching out to the, a lot of the leaders saying, this happened to me, this happened, and really just looking for an apology. Mm. Like saying, this happened in my marriage, this happened. He's still doing this to my family. All this stuff is happening. Right. Not one response. So I think over the years, I and I've even occasionally, segue into Bobby here, I've known Bobby, I've known you for about 10 years now.
3: Mm. Yeah, So about 10 years.
2: About 10 years. I would check in with Bobby and go, hey, Bobby, is there any legal recourse to um, even giving all my money under compulsion or being told I'm going to hell if I don't give X amount or I'm going Mm. to be disfellowshipped or whatever? And, you know, that's such a slippery slope. You can't really go back. It's so protected under so many, you know, religious laws. So about in this last November, Bobby and I were talking about something else. And he said, hey, has there ever been any sexual abuse in the ICOC? And I said, well, funny you mentioned that. Because I had just started getting all these stories on the podcast that I do. Mm -hmm. People were calling in about sexual abuse stories.
0: Say the name of the (laughs) podcast while we're at it.
2: What the Flock, F-L-O-K, right? Cult survival stories. Okay. So we were doing a couple of uh, episodes where I was talking about my story and people were calling in saying, how come we can't do anything about the sexual abuse cases? I'm a survivor of abuse in the ICOC, but I really thought I was an an anomaly, Mm. maybe, or a rarity, or maybe an enigma of... I didn't think it was so rampant. Ah. I really didn't. So, once Bobby and I had that conversation, and I said, Well, let me kind of look under the covers here and see what I find, I sent out a little shot from the bow on our survivor page on Facebook and said, Hey, anyone experienced this? Let's talk. Yep. What happened just blew my mind, brought me to my knees. I had no idea, Steve, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: that
2: people had been just the rampant sexual abuse and the cover-up and the failures to report, but that strategic squashing of abuse, Mm -hmm. where even a guy from LA, one of our defendants, would fly in and squash the abuse, and here's why you can't report, here's what will happen, and then training them to forgive the abuser mm-hmm. and setting up meetings where these these victims had to sit with their abuser and tell them they forgave them mm. right he's your brother in christ you need to forgive them or you're in sin
0: yeah that's more abuse Go more on. it's
2: secondary abuse yeah. yeah so when we heard these stories and 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 bobby well he'll he'll share about his end of it but bobby was like I, how do i not Jump in, after hearing a couple cases, he was just like, "How how do I not tackle this?"
0: All right, Bobby, right? you're up. Thank you. So, <laughs> you you knew uh, Michelle for 10 years. You knew that she had been in an abusive marriage, I'm sure, and this cult. Please take over. What 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 got you involved with taking this big case on?
3: Sure. Uh, Dr. Hessen, thank you for uh, giving us this uh, forum to talk about this case and, and, and what's happening. Um, so, yes, I knew Shell for many years. Shell, as you can tell, is very high energy. And we would, uh, we, we would bump into each other, uh, you know, at the school drop off or pick up. And she would tell me, I, I've got a story to tell you, and I'm working on a book, and I want to tell you all about it. And I would get little bits and pieces. And then uh, from time to time, I'd get a little more from her. She'd uh, send me a text with a little more detail. And, of course, I was interested to hear her story. But believe it or not, I never heard the entire story of really Mm. what she had been through until – very recently in the, in the last uh, couple of years is when Mm -hmm. she started Mm -hmm. explaining to me what had happened and her experience. And it was, it was pretty shocking for me to hear uh, what she'd been through because, um, I know shell as a, you know, this vibrant, uh, go getter, um, you know, is just, you know, really doing some amazing things. So I had no idea that she had this kind of um, real adversity in her background. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we started talking and then she started to share more and more about what had happened to her and and some of the details. And then we started to talk about the sexual abuse, which obviously, and I, and I, I know both of you know this, that seems to go hand in hand oftentimes with these kind of, um, you know, organizations. And um, so we started talking about that and, and Shell started receiving quite a bit of um, um, inquiries really from people who were sharing their stories with her about what had happened. Yep. And um, the, this case is a little bit, uh, the profile is a little different than what I normally get involved in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd asked Shell if we could identify maybe four or five of the survivors that she had talked to. And if we could bring them here to California and if I could talk to them in person and meet with them. Mm -hmm. And so we started that process, which was about a couple of months long. And, um, the, the first meeting we had was in my office, uh, for the meeting lasted a couple of days, but the, the, the initial meeting after so many years of practicing and seeing, I thought everything, um, I couldn't get through that initial meeting. I had to stop us early and ask that we restart the next day because I I was really blown away by a couple of things. One was the strength of the individuals who were retelling their stories. Mm -hmm. I mean, they were telling me, the most horrific things that happened to them. They, but they were really confident in telling their stories. I was having a really hard time processing it. And, um, and I was physically not well that day when I, Mm. when I left. Uh, so we got deeper and deeper into it. And there, there were some things that, um, that really drove me to, to, to want to be part of this case. The first was that, um, the the survivors who I met with all said, you know, we've tried to get our story out before, but what happens is anybody who speaks out against the ICOC or the ICC is immediately ostracized, and they are and they are essentially called out as lunatics and crazy and delusional, et cetera. And it's a very typical character assassination approach. Um, so, all these people I, I know these- that
0: one personally. If I can interrupt for one second and just say, uh, when my book first came out in 1988, Kip McKean was speaking to 15,000 people, including Michelle, I believe mm-hmm. you were in the audience. I was there. And Kip McKean is like, Steve Hassan is marked and Buddy Martin is marked and these are wolves in sheep's clothing and you'll be, you know, kicked out of the group if you ever talk, read these books or talk to these people. So I know about ad hominem attacks and Shell can, can verify right. from, from even being well, there. Well, it, it was
2: called... But remember what he called it—spiritual pornography.
0: Yes, my you, book is. You—you
2: were your book was spiritual pornography, Doctor Hassan.
0: Right. It's. Uh, but anyway, yes, they always attack the 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 people and uh, inv- try to invalidate them. Do black PR. Please, please continue. I couldn't help sure. it. I remember <laughs> that story, Michelle, when you told me. I
1: was there when he said that. I was
3: like, oh, great. Go on. <laughs> So, um so that that was one of the initial factors is is that all these people who have tried in the past to tell their stories and have not been able to out of fear they 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 were worried that their lives in general would be turned upside down if they did um and then you know there were some other very specific things that um, that people told me that just I couldn't really get it out of my brain, and and I became more and more interested in in being a part of this. Um, Some of the things, Dr. Hassan, that were really shocking to me, um, almost everybody who was abused as a child, and some were very young, gave me almost the same sort of recitation of facts of what happened after and this was very disturbing. After somebody was abused and then it was brought to the attention of members in the, in the organization, um, instead of addressing the problem, instead of contacting law enforcement, instead of making the appropriate reportings, um, every one of the cases, uh, first folks were told that they needed to forgive the abuser and sometimes the, those uh, discussions happened by bringing the survivor and the abuser into a room together,
1: mm-hmm.
3: um, and and told that if they did not uh, if they did not uh, forgive their abuser, that they would lose their salvation. Now, these conversations were happening oftentimes with the with the parents because these children were young. Some preteens and some teenagers Mm
1: -hmm. and
3: so they were given this same story and then you know if and then even one further than that um almost in every case the survivor then was called out almost like you know scarlet letter type like you were you know dressed too promiscuously or you're too well developed for your age and you're causing you know, problems uh, for the men in the, in, the, in the congregation. And so these things were just shocking for me to hear because I just not was not prepared for that. Um, May I ask
0: a question for clarification? Because I, I, I want to be clear. So are we talking people who were recruited into the cult who had been sexually abused as a child and then disclosed it to their recruiter? Okay or or and probably there were people born into the cult as children who were abused as well. are we talking about both categories we, there
3: there, is, there there are individuals that fall into both categories. I would say the bulk of the individuals, the survivors that we have talked to and are working with, were in one way or another born in either I their see. parents were in at the, at a time that they were born or they, or their parents were recruited in when they were very young. So a lot Got of it. these individuals, they, they knew nothing other than this organization as a way of life.
0: Thank you for clarifying. Cause that's what I thought when I, when I booked this interview, that that's what we are talking about. But then as you were describing it, I was like, you know, when people come into a cult, they get recruited And if they did have some abuse, they often are telling the cult recruiter for the first time, and it becomes a big lever for psychological manipulation and vulnerability. So that's why I just wanted to have clarity around that. So we're talking about young people uh, born or raised in the cult.
3: Yes, for the most part. Now, there were also some some adults who were recruited in and then and then faced abuse um, as well. Um, but, but the, the initial group of survivors that, that shell and I spoke to and met with were the ones that were mostly very young when they were brought in by virtue of their parents being mm-hmm. in or recruited by. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so all those things were kind of weighed heavily on me as I thought about, you know, what can we do here? And, and, and one of the my thinking was, if all we do here is is give these individuals a unified voice um, and and sort of create this place where they can tell their story and not be worried about being attacked because it's not going to be just one person. It's going to be ten, right. twenty, thirty, fifty, a hundred. You know, people then can come forward, and that's really what we've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, not to say that there haven't been statements made by the organizations uh, to try to uh, discredit it, it, in in a, I think in a more careful way, mm-hmm. try to discredit our survivors. Um, that's happened, uh, but the kind of for me after I took all of this in and processed it the thing that pushed me over the edge was that um, I talked to my son and daughter about the case and I get to work on some pretty fun and exciting things and represent, you know, oftentimes folks who are in the celebrity world. And so, you know, I tell them about those cases as they, you know, come along. Uh, But when I told them about this case, their reaction was completely different. Mm -hmm. I mean, they, they reacted to it in a, in a way that I was frankly surprised and, Mm -hmm. and their, Direction to me was you have to you have to file these cases, and I think one one of the things I feel uh, fortunate about is because of the work that I've done in the past, it gives me an ability to have this voice to go out and say something, um, you know, and tell somebody's story in 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 this context. And, um, and, and I think that's, that, that was, I felt like it was, um, it was, uh, something that, that had to be done. And, and, uh, and, and the more I heard about it, the more I felt compelled to do it. The the only other thing I'll mention is when Shell, you and Shell were talking about the structure and the system, how things work with disciplers and one thing that really struck me was, uh. Um, I have for many years done, uh, lots of reading about North Korea and how the system works. And it was, there were so many similarities in the system in, in how things are done in North Korea that I was really, um, I was really shocked. Like the discipler system where, you know, basically your neighbor is, is tasked with, you know, uh, looking over your shoulder. And and if you do not report indiscretions of your neighbor, you are an enemy of the state. And it's really very similar to the things that I heard in, in doing our research for these cases.
0: Yep, I think that's the analogy is spot on. And um, it is an authoritarian mind control, you know, system in North Korea, as it is in China and in these Religious authoritarian cults that I've been um, working with, you know, folks for almost 50 years on. So, but I want to comment. You, you, um, you're an attorney, but you are your empathy level is very high in 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 a in a very positive and unusual way for me because I deal with a lot of lawyers and they usually like, <laughs> what's the case? How are we going to, who, who are we going to sue? How much money can we get? And here, the, the mission is really wanting to empower people and validate them and, and bring attention uh, to warn other people. And of course, the ICOC is not the first religious organization that has been exposed as protecting predators and, and doing abuse. Although this whole thing about bringing people in with abusers and forgiving them is a whole nother level of psychological abuse, in my opinion.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, th- thank you, Dr. Hassan. Yeah, I will say um, I, um, I am aware of how fortunate I've been to get to this place. And I think uh, with some age and some experience, I think you get to a place in your life where you start thinking your purpose is greater than you know just doing your job and you know uh, earning a living, and so I viewed this case as like it was it was like a it, it was it was something that came to me as a wonderful opportunity to do something good. It's that, and that's, that's, that's what we want to do.
0: <laughs> I'm clapping for my listeners who can't see the video. I'm just delighted because we need more people who are attorneys to um, feel this calling to do the right thing. And the area of psychological abuse is just a big missing link in the law of it's a slippery slope if you're over 18 or you are an elderly person without you know with dementia okay you have undue influence but everyone else nope and it's like huh what what are you talking you know what about trafficking law fraud force and coercion how come that applies cuz i agree i believe this group is doing labor trafficking the cult i was in was certainly doing labor trafficking Sleep deprivation, you know, just countless hours of unpaid work. And the leaders are making a fortune, typically.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So, can I interject something, Please. Dr. Hassan? Of course. You I have think to call
0: what's... me Steve, Michelle. Come on. All right. Steve.
2: <laughs> and you too,
0: Bobby, this point. <laughs> okay. Now we know each other.
2: Um, I think an interesting element because, you know, with the ICOC, and in about 2005 or six, right around that split, uh, or maybe it was 2004, but right around there, when Kip was basically pushed out of the group, Mm -hmm. they all tell different stories about how that happened, but let's just say Kip was gone. And um, the ICOC said, well, we've changed right? We've changed and that they're not doing the overt discipling and the overt abuse. I'm going to say they're almost more dangerous that way because now they are are masquerading as this we've reformed, we've changed. And I use the analogy, it's like the serial killer saying, well, we stopped killing in 2004. Mm. We don't kill anymore. You know, we might rough up a couple people, but we're not killing. Well, what about all the dead people buried in their backyard? Mm -hmm. And a lot of those people are our victims. Mm -hmm. So they were around when this happened. And so the ICOC is like, well, we don't really want to talk about that. That was a long time ago. We've changed. And again, it completely, it silences the victim still. It takes their voice. So they're trying to say what happened to them. And they're like, well, we've changed. But that doesn't negate what you did then.
0: A thousand percent.
2: Right? And so, again, that's been really, even for me personally, that's been really hard. So they won't talk about the abuse. And they're like, can't you just move on? You know, you're just bitter. We've changed. It doesn't take away the abuse. First of all, they haven't really changed. They might be a, a kinder, gentler cult on the outside, right? They're not as overt, but they have not changed, and I know that personally from the conversations I've had with them. Mm-hmm. But that's one of their defenses now: is well, when Kip left, we changed, and that was all Kip.
0: Yeah, but, but I really- need to I need to validate you by saying every freaking authoritarian <laughs> cult that gets caught says that, like it's like a, it's just the sta- Scientology said it. The Mooney said it. Every single group are like, we, we got rid of the bad apples and we've changed. And it's like, huh?
2: Right. And here's what one thing that proves they haven't changed. We have all these victims now talking with specific incidences of people that are still in charge. Ah. Those people have put out public statements mm. saying, we didn't know, we are shocked and appalled, and we are investigating this. Really? Because you were the one that about 15 people reported abuse to. And I was there, so I know. Right. So if you've changed, I think your approach would be a lot different. Like, wow, do a public apology, do something. But to continue to deny that the abuse even happened, yeah. it's just evidence that you, you you still don't care and you still haven't changed.
0: Mm-hmm. Right? For, yep, for sure. Yeah. Yep. So how many, because they were putting so much pressure on people to recruit others, Mm -hmm. and there was a formulaic Bible study that everyone had to go through to count the costs before they got their baptism. Yes, it's called First
2: Principles.
0: First Principles. But they would, many, many, many people would exit you know, yes. they just couldn't take the abuse or they were being told, no, you can't be in pre-med because it it contradicts when we're getting together for Bible study, so you have to drop right. that major. Or we think God is calling you to be a full-time evangelist, so you should drop out of college. Um, my friend Chris Lee was, was at it, was MIT to become a rocket scientist, which is what his dream was. And he had to drop out because he had to, Mm -hmm. you had the calling to ministry, blah, blah, blah. Right? Yeah. So there's all kinds of lost wages and, you know, all kinds of other things that I think are also factoring into the interruption of a person's life course.
2: Well, it's interesting. A lot of the main leaders, this has been a conversation on our Survivor page, a lot of the main leaders that were in the full-time ministry are now retired, living off of retirement. Where's your retirement money coming from? Good point. We, we paid for that. Mm-hmm. I didn't get retirement. No one else got retirement except the main leaders. So no one was prepared for retirement, right? So And they gave everything to the group. So so many people that left, dare I say almost everybody, was financially destroyed. Yeah, No retirement plan, spending their kids' college money, wedding rings, gone, everything emptied out. So I left that group with the clothes on my back. Mm. No career, no nothing. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was starting over at ground zero, Mm -hmm. you know, at age 40. So my biggest earning years were gone. Yeah. The prime of my life. So I had to become an entrepreneur. I had to put it in high gear. I had to sink or swim. There was no mm-hmm. safety net for me. Yeah. But again, when I see these leaders now, one's living in Maui, the other one's retired, living by his grandkids, just went on vacation. Well, when he got back, he got served papers. So that was awesome, Good. right? Hope Good. you had a great vacation. Here's your fucking papers. Anyways, <laughs> but you know, <clears throat> these people are just now, they're what just the living their best life. What yeah, the- what the <laughs> But. You know, it was all about the main leaders. They all got taken care of.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
2: Now they're retired yeah. and living their best life. And everyone else is like, okay, well, I hope I can, you know, yeah. pay my rent this month. So I'm yeah. going to
0: add one more, in my opinion, a real crime, which is a lot of people got so burned by this cult that they gave up on God and religion mm-hmm. and afraid to mm-hmm. open a Bible even because they were so abused. Yeah. And, and and that that's another level of emotional harm that I, I think judges and juries need to understand when you, because a lot of my clients describe feeling spiritually raped.
2: Yeah, that's a very common term.
0: Yeah, because I yeah. felt that way in the Moonies when I got out. It was like, how can I trust God? I was praying all those hours. I was, you know, doing all the right. sacrificial work. And I find out I was lied to and mind controlled into following this creep who is right. uh, himself a, a serial uh, sexual predator, Sun Young Moon.
2: Right. Well, and it's, it's the Bible becomes a trigger, unfortunately. A lot right. of people talk about because it was so weaponized. Yes, and those scriptures were used as weapons. Yes, that I mean, we I have some survivors that I mean, they they can't even open the Bible; it literally triggers them. They, they will shake. Yeah, you know, because it was they were just well, they so, need therapy. so damaged.
0: The good news is yeah. you can rewire your mind and and neutralize yeah. all those triggers, but you have to understand you need the psychoeducation to understand. You know. What is, right. you know, the influence continuum and the bite model and, you know, understanding North Korea or understanding pimp or trafficker mind control is a great frame to then, you know, compare and contrast your experiences. And right. yes, yeah, sleep right. control, clothing control, food <laughs> control, rigid rules. And, you know, you just go down the list and you're like, holy mackerel, this really is authoritarian control.
2: Right. Right. Well, and I was going to share something about um, Bobby here and even you know, piggybacking off of some of what he said. Great. Because one of Bobby's goals in the beginning, like he said, was just to give everybody a voice mm-hmm. because that in itself is healing. And so giving people a voice and allowing them to tell their stories without fear Yeah. and even having that legal protection of a filed lawsuit. Right. So excuse me, so they can't get defamation of character thrown back in their face or, mm-hmm. you know, threatened legally. Mm-hmm. And the articles have functioned that way as well, whether it be Rolling Stone or The Guardian or L.A. Times. It's really functioned to give them a voice and help them take their power back. Yep. So that was and I didn't really even understand it when Bobby first mentioned that to me in the beginning, mm-hmm.
1: the power
2: in that. In letting them tell their story,
1: because mm-hmm. these
2: people, this is a civil suit, right? Mm-hmm. These people, these survivors, are not in it for a financial payout. They really are not. Mm. They don't care. They just wanted to tell their story. They wanted to feel heard. Mm. So one of our survivor pages, and you know, I think Bobby jumps on there occasionally, but Bobby's like a rock star in their world.
1: Mm-hmm. They're mm-hmm. like,
2: you know, everyone's just Team Bobby. I call it Team Samini. Right. Because he stepped out and gave them a voice really yeah. on his own dime. And so seeing that's been so beautiful because I'm watching people blossom mm. and come to life and take their power back and stand up to relatives and and they're, you know, their abusers, and they are just standing up, yeah, and really um transforming. It's like a metamorphosis. And so it's, it's really the most beautiful thing I've ever seen in my life, quite it, frankly. It's awesome.
0: Know? But if I may say mm-hmm. in the past where there have been lawsuits, it's been more about the money for lawyers and mm-hmm. they're typically a gag deal at the end where nobody can share their stories again. And for me, after all these years of work, I really want the law to change, and ultimately, mm-hmm. I want the law to hold these groups accountable because why are we subsidizing them with our tax money?
1: Yes, giving
0: them tax exemption status for lying to people and trafficking yep. them? that doesn't seem just to me at all
3: right um. Steve, one thing, uh, and I'm so glad you brought this topic up because nobody ever wants to talk about this economic side of it. So when I first started um, meeting with survivors, I asked them, you know, why haven't I I don't see any filed suits? And, you know, do you know why folks haven't filed before? And they all said to me, um, you know, some of us have tried, but, you know, the lawyers are not interested in the case, which I found very unusual because I spent, you know, six weeks, which in the grand scheme of things is, is not a long time to do due diligence on a case like this. But I spent six weeks and I was absolutely convinced that many, many people have been abused in the in the most horrific ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I learned that I learned why. I think, in some cases, there were some lawyers who they didn't maybe didn't have the platform and were concerned that they would be targets themselves and understanding that although this is not a huge organization, it's not a small one either. They right. do have the ability to do things. Um, <clears throat> but what I learned later down the line was why these cases haven't been filed. Uh, and this is not to knock any of the lawyers out there who who, who work in these cases, because there are some great firms that really Mm. just focus on these cases. But the economics drive these cases. And so if you have a case that you're going to file against the Catholic Church or the Boy Scouts of America, you know there's going to be a payday at the end. And Mm. you know that the legal theories to get you there are pretty straightforward. So mm. if somebody walks into your office and says, I was abused as a child at one of the archdioceses," at that point, it's really just a factor of how much time is it going to take and how much money are you going to get? Yeah, That's it. There's yeah. no, you know, there. those cases have been well litigated for years and years. And so now that's what it is. Well, <clears throat> when we first took this case on, we spoke to, a couple of firms that are in this area pretty exclusively. And, um, you know, what all of them said, thank you for calling us, but no, thank you. And I learned why. Mm -hmm. And the why is this is not an easy, low hanging fruit case. Mm -hmm. This is a case of first impression as it comes to the ICOC and the ICC. Um, Although I believe they do have assets and and you know financial abilities, there it's going to be a real challenge to figure all that out, and it's going to take a lot of hard work and energy and commitment from lots of people, not just the lawyers, but others as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, sadly, what's happened is the cases that get filed and the ones actually the ones that don't get filed. I think it's driven more by. Um, the economics, because yeah. the, 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 the the people are there, the survivors are there, they're telling you their story, and, and, and they have very specific facts to support them. And lots of third parties. When we filed these cases, the thing I was most moved by was that we had so many people contact us who said, I was not abused in the church, but I was there when it occurred and i know things and i saw things and i was afraid to come forward but now i want to come forward and do the right thing and that was extremely moving to see awesome. people do that because they have absolutely nothing to gain and and mm-hmm. and everything to lose by doing it yeah so I, I agree there there has to be some change in 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 the laws here to to stop this from happening and not just rely on lawyers to file cases because the lawyers, for the most part, are going to file the cases that have the economic recovery as a certainty. And most of these are not going to fall in that category.
0: Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And what really bugs me is that they force a gag uh, agreement that the former mm-hmm. members can't share their story, which mm-hmm. muzzles and allows the group to go on and victimize more people. Versus keeping the spotlight on these abusive behaviors, not just the people who are doing it, but the structure and the methodology and using it as an opportunity to do psychoeducation with all people around the planet that the mind can be hacked, that really intelligent, educated, talented people can be enslaved and and believe that they're doing god's will when in fact they're being manipulated and controlled by narcissists and malignant narcissists with predatory aspirations.
2: Mhm. Yeah. Well, the last thing I was going to say here Steve, I know we're probably wrapping up soon, but you know the ICOC has about 1.2 million defectors, right? Since 1980, let's say. That revolving door. Um, That's a lot when, of
0: people. That's worldwide, right?
2: It's Yeah, it's international. It's mm-hmm. worldwide. Mm-hmm. Um, all those people are finding their voice. And it's interesting to see it. I c- kind of all coalesce at once. So really, thank you to social media. People have found each other. And we have that survivor page where people are swapping stories.
0: What's the name of the survivor page on uh, Facebook? Facebook.
2: Um, I'll you send you a link to it. This okay. the, the main one is, uh, I think it's ICOC Survivors Equals Cult or something. It's kind of a long name. I'll send okay. it to you.
0: Okay, we'll put but, it in the um, blog that a, we write.
2: Yeah, yeah. But what's happening is all these people have come together. And this is a group, if you think about the ICOC, and Bobby and I have mentioned this in the past, all of the survivors – and defectors that we've talked to are some of the best people you'll ever talk to in your entire life. Mm-hmm. Like salt of the earth, just honest, authentic humans that really wanted to do good on the planet. So you've got all these amazing people, but it's combined with some of the worst people I've ever met in my entire life mm. the leaders, the lifers, the ones that are hanging on and refuse to apologize, the ones that are, yeah. just, you know, retired now living somewhere. But so you've got the best people I've ever known in my life mixed with the worst people I've ever known in my life, mm-hmm. right? Kind of two subsets of people. But these people that have a story and are marching forward together, they're feisty now. Good. They have found their voice and there is no shutting these people up. So well, once they started talking, they're talking. And they now are on a mission to make sure that this story is heard. So it's really a beautiful kind of piece of history that's happening. People that were afraid to talk, oh, they're talking and they've all got a story.
0: (laughs) And kudos to you because you are a role model of a, not just a survivor, but a thriver. And really it's inspiring. Uh, And I hope that people who are listening to this, whether they got, you were in the Jehovah's Witnesses or any number of other religious cults we're listening to this story, No, we we have we have a lot of community of people who won't yes. won't won't judge you for that the fact that you agreed to all this abuse of behavior um, right. directed at right. you and such.
2: Right. Well, and that's what that's what has borne our new um nonprofit, our five oh one C three, which mm. is called free to be. Free, then the number two and then the letter B because we have so many survivors, Bobby and I, we, we can't even get to them all. We've had over almost 1,200 phone calls come in. Great. Over a hundred cases of strictly um, sexual abuse, mm-hmm. but hundreds more of all kinds of abuses,
1: mm-hmm. you know,
2: physical, financial, mental, emotional, of course
1: mm-hmm. So
2: now we're just figuring out ways to, to help as many people as we can. Once we opened up this can of worms, now it's like, okay, now we have to help the people. So, and I'll keep you posted on that. Absolutely.
0: I want to thank you both um, so much. And uh, we'll put this out on the podcast, The Influence Continuum. We'll do a blog with the video uh, on freedomofmind.com. And I hope we will stay in touch because I really, you know, that's my hope. As I get older and older, we can give voice (laughs) to the people who've suffered, change the law itself, uh, and make it a crime to psychologically and emotionally abuse people and sexually allow sexual abuse.
2: Yes, agreed. I'm in.
3: Great,
0: Bobby. Last (laughs) words.
2: uh, Just
3: thank you for giving us this uh, this this forum, Steve. It's been wonderful to 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 be here and um and and it's greatly appreciated and uh, i'm hopeful that we'll be giving you some some uh good updates in the near future and that we'll we'll definitely be calling on you for um for for some insight on things as well My
0: pleasure thanks so much and we'll be in touch Bye. bye
3: thank you bye
0: That's it for today's episode of the Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast is by Nasser Malik. To keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website at freedomofmind.com. There you'll find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram, at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump, in that order. These books are a culmination of 45-plus years of experience, and will really help you grasp the complex web of undue influence. I have also launched a new nine-hour online course for anyone interested in a deep dive into issues related to recovering from undue influence in all forms. While this course is designed for clinicians, everyone can benefit. If you're a former member, I congratulate you for your bravery and invite you to use the hashtag, I Got Out, and join our online community at igotout.org. Remember, love is stronger than mind control,
1: and thanks for listening.